a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 134 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice or share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. I'm here today in the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in the basement of my townhome in Burnsville, Minnesota. And if you're listening to this on time, on February 7th, 2021, Super Bowl Sunday, you know that this is late. Usually I release bi-weekly on Thursdays, and the reason? The last two weeks have been insane. My little high school production company that creates high-quality high school sports broadcasts online for two different high schools had 28 games and events since my last podcast 16 days ago. Nine of those I covered personally. Uh, The others hired people from my team out to take care of them. But besides the pure volume of games, I've really been pushed outside of my comfort zone in the types of events that I've been covering. In the past, my winter work has mostly been basketball, probably 90%, and I would occasionally dabble in other things. Right now, uh, with both schools wanting everything covered, and now uh, because I have experience doing uh, swimming and gymnastics and some of the other things that kind of tried at a time and hoped that they would turn out well, now that's what I'm doing for the most part. I've been doing hockey and swimming and wrestling are my most frequent assignments, and the hoops that I love, I still do some, but it's not the amount that I usually do or or would like to do. All this while working between 20 and 25 hours a week at Home Depot, and the biggest challenge of all of this has not necessarily been broadcasting so many games, but learning how to be a logistics manager for so many games and making sure that everybody has the right equipment, everyone has the right ads, that training different people uh, over the phone to use the software. And again, I just keep telling myself that it's better than the alternative of having nothing, which it seems about three weeks ago was the case. Well, that's my uh, personal career update. Now to the podcast where I had the great fortune to be able to chat with Mike Kelly. He is the voice of the Missouri Tigers. And Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Logan, my pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. One of my favorite icebreakers, and I probably say this every single podcast to the point where my listeners are tired of me saying it and just expect it, but I love hearing the moment in your life where you knew broadcasting was it, the moment where you caught the itch. What was that for you? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, You know, initially, it it wasn't something that I thought I wanted to do. Um, I I thought I was going to go into law school. And uh, that was kind of the goal growing up is I wanted to be an attorney. Um, But then uh, I think it was probably my my junior year at at Southern Illinois at Carbondale, FIU Carbondale, uh, where, you know, I had a chance to work at the student station, uh, which was a cable station heard just on campus and had the opportunity to do some sports casts and things like that. And kind of got the bug, I guess, then probably my junior year in college. And it was just like, uh, let's, let's, let's see what happens. Uh, I don't know that you ultimately, you know, get the bug completely until you get that first full-time job <laughs> because, because you don't know if you're really any good at this, you know, cause it's, it, it's truly a, uh, it's a professional, it's a profession where, you know, you're, you, you're hoping others hope that you sound okay. 
so, you know, I, I think that would be the first moment was, was, you know, getting a chance to do stuff in college. And then, um, I got a job in Champaign, Illinois shortly after graduating. And, uh, then it really kind of, uh, struck me as this is something I wanted to do. How many different jobs within that job in Champaign, Illinois, did you have? Because most people's first job is, you know, there's sports, but then you're doing news and you're doing the swap shop and you're doing funeral uh, yeah. reports. That, you know, it's funny because yeah, because actually Champagne, and I'm sorry to interrupt, Champagne was actually my 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 second job after after graduating. Uh, I took a job at a small radio station in southeastern Illinois, uh, the small town of Olney, Illinois, O L N E Y. It's on the Indiana border. Uh, white squirrels are indigenous to Alney, Illinois, and that's kind of the uh, the historic makeup of the community. But I arrived there thinking I was going to do all sports, and I literally did very little of any sports. Uh, I was doing an AM shift um, on their their AM station, and literally the the moniker was the Memory Maker. Uh, hits from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, I could literally track an album and just let it roll and, and, and no one ever called or, or knew exactly what was going on. And then I did an, an afternoon shift on what was kind of a pop music station, their FM station. Um, and literally one week into that job, uh, I knew I needed to go someplace else. And so I think I started on a, on a Friday the previous week. Uh, my first full week was on that Monday. On that Thursday night, I drove from from Alney, Illinois, to Champaign to interview for another job. And on that Friday of my first week on the job, I put in my two weeks' notice to go to Champaign. So, um, yeah, that was one of those jobs where it was, you know, I worked in college athletics for a little bit, um, you know, and there was always a job title at the end of your your, your job. Uh, summary if you will there was always something other duties as assigned and that's that's certainly small market radio so eventually your first big break as far as i could find in my research was that you were able to get on at kmox and the legendary blowtorch station in st louis and it said that you called once a week the station manager right away in the morning for a, whatever length of time it ended up being. How did you come up with that strategy? And uh, did, were you ever worried that it would have the opposite effect of landing you? Yeah. Robert Hyland was his name. He was a legendary figure with CBS radio, and he was literally the guy that created talk radio um, in, in St. Louis. Um, you know, he, to his credit, he found people much more talented than I am, such as Jack Buck and, Dan Kelly and Bob Costas and talk Dan Deardorff into getting into, into broadcasting and Bob Costas and Joe Buck. And, um, I was working in Champaign and, and had come down to, I think it was in 85, the, the Chicago bears were practicing in Champaign under the bubble at the university of Illinois because they didn't have an indoor practice facility in Chicago. And this was prior to, playing in the Super Bowl in Atlanta against the New England Patriots. And um, I remember covering one of the, the post-practice news conferences. Uh, in fact, it was at a hotel called the Joomer Lodge, Joomer's Lodge in, in, in Urbana, Illinois. Uh, and I recognized this voice from across the room asking a question. Um, and I knew it was Jim Holder, who was a sportscaster at Camo X in St. Louis. I grew up in the St. Louis area. My father listened to Camo X religiously. Um, and I went up to Jim that afternoon and I said, Hey, I'm Mike Kelly. I work here at WDWS in Champaign. I really want to work in Camo X at some point in time. Tell me how I get there. And he was very kind and, and still remains a very dear friend. And uh, Jim said, next time you're in town to see your mom and dad, you know, look me up and, um, you know, we'll begin the process that way. And so that was in the summer 
or that was in the winter. And then I guess it was probably the, the spring or early summer of 86. I was in Cham- Champaign or in uh, St. Louis seeing my folks and I called Jim and had set up a time to go and meet with, with Jim and also a guy named Rod Silverstein, who was producing uh, Camelback Sports at the time. He went on to do uh, a variety of different things. I think he even worked in entertainment tonight for a while. But, you know, Rod told me back then, he said, listen, you know, we don't have a position, but do me a favor. Go back to Champaign and be our correspondent on Illinois sports. And so I did that for two years. And anytime anything would happen, news stories involving athletics or game previews or post-game wraps, I would call Camo X and, and I would I would send audio or I would do a voice or something like that. And I never asked for a dime for two and a half years. And then uh, the football Cardinals made the decision to to move to Arizona. And uh, there were two members of the sports staff that, that had relationships inside the Cardinals organization. They followed the team and it created a couple openings. And so uh, Mr. Highland, uh, well, I got in, uh, Ron Jacober was the sports director at the time. He asked me to come in and, and to audition. And so after the audition, I called my friend Jim Holder and I said, how do I get the job? And he said, well, you got to get to Highland, meaning Robert Highland. I said, okay, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, here's his number, 314-444-3201. And you better call him before six o'clock because after six o'clock, he goes to mass every morning at six across the street at the old cathedral and you'll never get him after seven. So you better get him before six o'clock. So I came up with the strategy that I was going to call him every Friday morning from April until I got the job uh, at uh, 4.15 in the morning, actually 4.30. So I'd set my alarm for 4.15. Uh, I'd get up and and I'd call 314-444-3201. And I remember those first couple of calls, they were very short. It went something like this, Robert Highland, Mr. Highland, Mike Kelly calling from Champaign. I just want you to know how much I want the position in your sports department. We're still talking to people. Click. And that continued for the first couple of weeks. And when we got into about literally late May and June, after making those calls religiously on Friday morning, he started answering the phone at 4.30 on Friday morning by saying, hello, Michael. And, and, and then I knew I had a pretty good opportunity uh, and would eventually in August uh, get hired and, uh, and have the opportunity to start my career at KMOX. What did you talk about each week? Did you just say the same thing? How's the... Uh... How's the position going, or did you try to be clever yeah, and come up with different you know, Mr. angles? Mr. Highland was, yeah, you know, Mr. Highland was always very short and to the point. I mean, a wonderful man, absolutely wonderful man. Um, and, and I tried to make sure that I just had in my mind exactly where I wanted to get to in the in the shortest amount of time. And usually it was very, hey, just want to want to reaffirm my interest in the position. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in St. Louis listening to KMOX. And this is where I want to be. This is this this is what I want to do with my life. And uh, you know, eventually it, it it worked out, and and I was able to to get the position. What did your boss in Champaign think about you double dipping as a correspondent for a competing radio station? Didn't have any problem with it whatsoever. Um, it was not uncommon uh, back then uh, because of Champaign's location, its proximity to Chicago. And it's also proximity to St. Louis, where you would get calls on a weekly basis from from you know WGN, WBBM, uh, certainly Camelot in St. Louis. Those were the three. Um, and then there was also a, a, a small uh, radio news and sports outlet that was based in Chicago called the Illinois Radio Network. And so I do freelance stuff for for all of them at the time. And, and Jim Turpin was was my boss in Champaign and. It could not have been uh, more accommodating, and also could not have been more of a mentor at the time. He was he was doing play by play for the University of Illinois. Uh, he allowed me to come in at a young age. I was doing a talk show five nights a week. Uh, I got the opportunity to do uh, Illinois women's volleyball. Uh, I also did. Uh, I was the first play by play broadcaster to east of the Mississippi to do. Uh, play-by-play for women's volleyball, both home and road, for a couple of seasons. And so that's a broadcast that still continues today in Champaign. Um, I got a chance to work on, you know, the, the, the coaches' call-in shows and, and host those. 
Um, and, and so it was just a plus getting a chance to do a variety of high school sports as well. And so it was really a great place for me to go and, and, and lay the foundation uh, for, for the next step, which was Camel X. And, um, you know, I, I think back on it and, and Champagne was just, for me, it was a wonderful, you know, three and a half, four year period of my life. I met my wife there. Uh, and so, um, yeah, Jim Turpin was terrific. He was absolutely, absolutely fantastic to work for. You spouted off that phone number that you were calling as if you were still calling it every morning. Do you have a particularly strong memory? Oh, I hope so. Um, others would, would, would maybe think not. My wife would say that sometimes my memory is selective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to, I think there are things, you know, Logan in your life, events in your life. I mean, it's, uh, other things in your life that you just naturally remember. I still remember my first phone number as a kid growing up, uh, 618-286-5844. Uh, you know, and, and so, um, I, I just think there are things that you, that you just naturally remember. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly think I have the ability to retain things as, as it comes to, uh, historical events. Uh, particularly now is, you know, I've 30 years uh, basically into to having an affiliation with the University of Missouri and so different things that have happened here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I have the ability to recall things. Did you do anything to develop that or is it all natural? I, I think it's more natural. Um, I didn't do, you know, I didn't really specifically, you know, take any classes or or try to like use any tools or things like that. It's just, I think, I think you get interested in things and you just, you know, cause you're interested, you know, you remember things. I remember as a kid, I, I, I used to always, uh, I used to be able to tell you the starting five for the national championship teams, uh, in NCAA basketball, uh, for a number of years. Um, and, you know, that was just something I was always interested in. And, you know, and, you, know you get in, get a little bit older and you, you remember stuff like that. And maybe you're in college and, you know, I, I can tell you who the starting five was for Marquette in 1977. Maybe you won a couple of bucks over a beer or two. I mean, you know, so uh, just little games like that, I guess, is what I naturally played. You grew up, as you mentioned, in a small town close to St. Louis, Dupo, Illinois, I believe, was the town. Yeah. And... You had KMOX, you were listening to Jack Buck call the Cardinals and everything else probably at that point. And I think Bob Costas was doing the Spirits of St. Louis. How important were those voices in your development? That's a great question. Um, because at the time that I was, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that every night went to bed with, with, with the transistor under the cover. I just, that, that just wasn't me. Um, but my father, um, was, was the person who always picked me up from, you know, sports practices. And so every night after practice, um, you know, and in, and in high school, I, I, I played football, I played basketball, I ran track. And so I was busy throughout the school year with a sport. Um, and then, you know, before high school, I was, I was, I was swimming at a, at a young age and we, we swam year round. And so we were always in the car going to practices. And my dad was a, was a, um, a KMOX listener who was a religious KMOX listener. So I got to know, you know, the voices that were associated with the radio station. And it wasn't, you know, just, um, you know, the sports guys, you know, it was, you know, Bob Hardy in the mornings and, you know, Bruce Bradley in the afternoons and, and, and other voices that, that populated the station. And certainly the sports people came into play too. And so, you know, Costas at then it was a rich time, right? Because, you know, you had Costas doing spirits. You had the great Dan Kelly doing, doing the St. Louis blues, Jack Buck doing, you know, not only um, Cardinal baseball, but he also did, uh, the NFL on, on CBS radio, and he did University of Missouri sports at times. And then Bob Starr, who was a great broadcaster as well, 
uh, went on to do California Angels baseball. You know, he was in St. Louis at that point in time. And so, um, you know, when I, when I got the, when I got the itch, uh, then for me, uh, I started remembering, you know, again, the influences of, of those individuals and, you know, to, to eventually get to not only, you know, work with them, but then to, to, to become, become colleagues and friends with those individuals too meant a lot as well. At KOMOX, you didn't have to just listen to Jack Buck. You got to work alongside and with him. Uh, what advice and what influence did he have in you moving from a very good broadcaster who's able to able to get hired at KOMOX? They don't just take anybody. But to become the broadcaster, uh, at least start down the path to be the broadcaster you are now. Well, I... I... I make reference to Mr. Buck, and I still to this day call him Mr. Buck, and it's out of the the utmost respect. Um, you know, his son Joe uh, and I used to do um, Missouri basketball together. In fact, the first year that I did play by play for Missouri basketball in 1991 and 92, Joe Buck was actually my color analyst, and his father used to refer to the two of us as the two fledglings what are you two fledglings going to begin your career? Well, I'd suggest to you, one of us is still kind of fledgling. The other one's had a pretty good career. And, um, you know, they're, they're just little things that Jack would tell you, you know, call the play, you know, no, no, nobody cares what you think about the officials. Cause you are not one. Nobody thinks what you think. Well, nobody cares what you think about that play call. Cause you're not the coach or the manager. Uh, you're a broadcaster. And the reason why you're there is to describe the action for those that are listening to the game. So call the play. And so that's something that's always, um, you know, always something that I've remembered. Um, you know, other little things, you know, just, you know, he, he, he tell Joe and I, you know, put a $100 bill in your wallet, keep it with you. When you sit down and do a game, uh, pull it out. And remember, that's why you're there to get paid. Uh, you know, and, and then just, you know, just listening to him do a variety of different broadcasts through the years and, and the way that, you know, in baseball, it was, it was magical for me to listen to him. Um, and I became more of a student after I started working at Campbell X because I was doing post-game Cardinal baseball, right? So, um, you know, you'd have to listen to all the broadcasts and, and, and watch those that were available on TV at the time. Um, and just listening to, to the technique and, and the way that he would call games and the way that he would set up pitches with, you know, history of what had taken place, you know, perhaps when, when the batter was, was, was up, you know, in an earlier inning or situations and things like that. I mean, it was just, I think little things like that, I just have naturally um, taken and, and, and been able to apply to different things I'm doing. Tell us a story about you and Joe Buck when you guys were young and doing Missouri men's basketball, right? But you guys were working together. You're both young. Uh, Tell us a story that's not going to get you in trouble that uh, is just fun about Joe Buck, who everyone knows now. Well, Joe's just, Joe's just, I mean, Joe's fun. Joe's got, I mean, he's, first of all, he's, he's, he's unbelievably talented and he's, and, and and he's, wonderfully gifted as a broadcaster, but he's also very intelligent. Um, and he's witty, a lot like his father. And, and he just has the ability to come up with things that, you know, you're like, where did that come from? Um, but, you know, we would, we were both living in St. Louis and it's a hundred and roughly 120 miles from St. Louis to, to Columbia uh, to do the games. And so just, you know, memories of just those, those drives, you know, back and forth, um, you know, late at night at times, you know, going to games and coming home from games. Um, you know, those, those are things that, that I remember. I, I did a Cardinal baseball series in New York and, and, and he was doing TV and, uh, it was my first time in New York as, as, as a broadcaster with the Cardinals. And so, you know, how do you get to the stadium? How do you know? And so, you know, just little things like that. Um, you know, instead of taking the bus, we take the subway, but on the way home from Shea, you always take the bus. 
you know, you don't take the subway at that point in time. Um, you know, and there are other things, I mean, you know, that, that, that I, I could go into, but I won't. Uh, just because I think those, those are times that, 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 and memories that, that I just prefer to keep to myself. But um, he was fun. He's still a friend. Um, I, I try not to bother him. I, 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 he's, I know how busy he is with the, with the variety of things he's got going on in his life. And, um, you know, I, I, I still, uh, consider him though to be a, to be a friend and, and, and I'm, I'm someone who's tremendously proud to call him a friend and very, uh, proud of seeing what he's done. I mean, oh my goodness, he's going to be inducted into the, Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton this summer. He's probably going to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame as well. So, wow, you kidding me? I got a chance to work with him. Wow, pretty cool. What was the sequence of events that led you to getting the break to becoming the voice of the Tigers to start with in 1991? Uh, I had played college basketball at a junior college uh, in Belleville, Illinois, and it also had thought about playing basketball as a walk-on at Carbondale. Eventually chose not to do that. I tore my hamstring uh, literally in August before my junior year. And that kind of had an influence on this guy's way of saying focus on something else. Um, And the reason why I say that is because when uh, in 1989, I was doing sports at KMOX and, and, and Robert Highland walked in and he said to me, um, hey, you know, you're a young guy, just got married. Um, the University of Missouri is moving this show that they call Tiger Talk to a to a live location out of a studio. And Bill Wilkerson, who was doing Missouri football at the time, didn't want to make the drive to Columbia, Missouri on Mondays. He said, would you like to do that? I said, absolutely. I mean, without even asking my wife, I absolutely would love to do that. So I started doing Tiger Talk in 1989, and, and Joe Castiglione, who's now the athletic director at the University of Oklahoma, was one of the administrators within the Missouri Athletic Department at the time. He was an assistant AD, and Joe actually used to answer the phones uh, on those Monday evenings during Tiger Talk. You know, we'd be out at a location, and Joe would answer the phone and write down a question, and it's me. So we developed a really good relationship, very strong relationship, which we still maintain to the day. Um, and so Joe knew of my background. He knew that I had some, some, some history of, of, of having played basketball, et cetera. And the reason why I say that is that in 1990, during the 1991 season, Rod Kelly, who no relation was doing color and did it for many years. He was working with Tom Moore at the time and became ill and couldn't do games. And so they asked me if I would, uh, do games during the, on a filling basis during the, 89-90 season, and then Rod couldn't continue. And so during the 90-91 season, I did color for a year working with Tom Doerr. And at the end of that season, uh, Tom Doerr took the job as the television uh, play-by-play uh, announcer for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, it was at the end of the 90-91 season that Joe Castiglione and, and Roger Gardner from Learfield uh, asked me if I wanted to move into the role of going play-by-play for basketball, which I did. And then in 1994, prior to the start of the 1994 season, uh, Bill Wilkerson left and became the play-by-play voice of the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, again, Roger and uh, Joe asked me if I wanted to do both sports at the time. And so since then, I've, I've been doing uh, Tiger Talk and then uh, basketball along with football. Obviously, you've been there a really long time. I'm sure if you had wanted uh, to pursue larger things you could have. What about that particular position has led to you to stay there so long? You know, well, first of all, Logan, I think you, you feel blessed to be able to have the opportunity um, to do Division I uh, sports. And at that time, you know, starting in the Big Big 8 Conference, moving to the Big 12 and now to the SEC. So there's, 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 a, there's a portion of you that feels very fortunate to be in that to be in that position, and, and you were right. There have been, you know, there's there's been a couple of opportunities that I've that I've looked at, um, you know, with great interest at the time. 
But then I think the other thing that comes into play is that those that had done this before me, whether it be Tom Doerr or Kevin Harlan or John Rooney or Bob Costas or Jack Buck or Harry Carey, they all had other things that they wanted to do. And so, you know, there was a there was a gentleman that had done Missouri play-by-play on local radio and on a few smaller stations of a network, uh, another network, if you will, uh, named Malin Aldridge. It had been had a wonderful career uh, being in Missouri for 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 twenty plus years. But but I just there were, there was a part of me that was just again. Um, felt fortunate to be where I was. Felt comfortable with the surroundings. Um, you know, eventually I would move from St. Louis to Columbia in '97. I'm raising a family at that point in time. Uh, I had three young daughters. Uh, stability meant a lot, you know, for me in terms of being able to provide them with, you know, not popping around from place to place because I had this ego that was driven to you know, to, to do a variety of different sports. And so I just, it, it was a comfortable thing. I just was very comfortable. Um, and to this day. And so, uh, you know, but still, I will tell you, and I have said this publicly many, many times, that this isn't my job. You know, I'm, I'm just the seat. I'm taking the seat over for the next guy. You know, because at some point in time, somebody's going to call me and they're patting me on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what? Thanks. You know, we appreciate your time, but we're going to go in a different direction. And it's their job. It's not mine. So they have every right to do that. So uh, I think at the end of the day, I just felt very, excuse me, very comfortable and very blessed to be in the position I'm in. You are well known as someone who's really, really good at painting the picture and really describing what's going on, especially, I think, in football. The stuff I read about you said that you get every little movement pre every movement in the formation, every little adjustment. How did you develop that talent and what tips would you give uh, for somebody else to be able to replicate it? Well, first of all, uh, whomever said that is very kind. Um, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I just think that goes back to, again, what, what, what Mr. Buck said back in the day, call the play. Well, part of the play is describing what the play looks like. Um, sometimes if I'm critical of myself, I become over-descriptive. Um, and I think there's a fine line there, right? Uh, being able to always selectively edit in your mind what you're wanting to say and wanting to pass on to the listeners, convey to them. But I just think as I've, as I've, you know, progressed in this business and just, you know, uh, you know, listening to people. Um, and, and, and I'm not a guy that, that, that spends a great deal of time listening to a lot of talk radio or a lot of sports on radio. Uh, I just, I, I fill my time with other things and it's not, an, I don't mean that as a knock or a slight to anyone. Uh, I just like to, for me, I like to kind of get away right when in between games, but when I listen, you know, I, I try to think of what is the best way to describe so the person listening um, can see. And, 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 you know, painting that picture was something that it's a phrase that I think every broadcaster has heard from uh, from the time that they, they first sh- showed any interest whatsoever into doing this. And so um, I just think it's something naturally for me that's just kind of Developed, but I think it's also something that I mean. Sure, it's like anything else. Like any any great idea, right? Is something that probably somebody stole from somebody. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I've taken things that I've heard from, you know, whether it be a, a Jack Buck or or, or Kevin Harland or um, others that that um, I've listened to through the years and just tried to implement those. But I I think it fundamentally just goes down to. Um, the words of Jack Buck and it's, it's describe the play, call the play. Um, and, and understanding that, that what we do is, is a medium where there, where there's no visuals. Uh, and so it's incumbent upon you to, to describe, um, 
a variety of different things. I mean, one of the great, great broadcasts that, that, you know, that I've ever listened to uh, is Ben Scully's call of Sandy Koufax's perfect game. And, and I still have that on tape and, um, you know, thinking about the different ways in which he described the moment, um, you know, uh, at the end, you know, uh, it was a strikeout of Harvey Keene, I think, to end the game. And, you know, Koufax, uh, you know, and I'm trying, I, I don't do it justice, but using as an emphasized K of the OUFAX, um, you know, there's, there's, gave the attendance at one point in time, you know, the attendance tonight at Dodger Stadium is so-and-so, and there are a million butterflies. It's 9.39 in the City of Angels. Again, that's probably not exactly what he said, but things like that. And so, you know, I think through the years, you just apply different things that help bring the the listener into the booth with you. When you're listening and being and and actively thinking, you know, do I like this description? Do I not? How do you decide, uh, even if you like it, what is uh, what is stealable and what's not? For example, uh, I I was listening to one of my friend's tapes and critique him, and he used "bang" on a word on a on a three pointer, and I said, "Don't do that. That's Mike Breen's. Like everybody associates that." How do you decide what's stealable and what's not? Oh, you know, I think. If- I think bang is kind of a, I think bang is kind of just a generic phrase. Uh, yeah, Mike Green uses it and, and certainly it's been a, um, I think a signature, but I, but, but I don't, I don't have any problem with somebody using that. Um, I think, you know, there are other ways though to describe, to describe, you know, the ball going through the basket, you know, uh, you know, uh, and so, um, when you get into the um, a specific um, signature, if you will, you know, then, then maybe that's something that, that you think twice about. But um, honestly, my mind's going so fast at times that I just, it's, you know, I'm not even sure what I said. <laughs> <laughs> You're just in the moment calling the play. And, and, and people have always said, you know, like, like so, you know, How'd the call go? And and literally, I'm like, well, I'll just let that up to, you know, leave that to others to decide. You know, I think at the end of the day, as broadcasters, you just, you hope you got it right, right? You hope you, you, you hope you did it accurately with, with um, the right amount of, of uh, I don't know, enthusiasm and, and, and just level of description. Uh, but literally there are times when, when I will walk out of a booth and, and it, it, it's kind of blank for me at that point in time. Cause you just get, I mean, this game is too with college football because the games are just so long. I mean, we had a four hour and 20 minute game earlier this season. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to remember every aspect of, uh, of what took place during that point in time, given the literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of words that you might have, uh, might have articulated. In the past, I covered a small college team that played really, really fast, no huddle, like 15 seconds between plays type of, uh, type of football. And I know you, are covering SEC teams now, but you used to cover Big 12 teams that played Mm -hmm. at a really, really fast rate. And I always found it difficult to balance both getting the analyst enough time while getting uh, the nuts and bolts and the essentials. Uh, How did you find to do that? Well, what what I try to do with with, with any analyst that that I work with, and, and, and now it's Howard Richards who, Howard was the number number one draft choice of the Cowboys back in '81. Uh, was was an All American at Missouri and played in the NFL for seven years. Um, and, and, and so, what I've always tried to describe, first of all, I, I tell guys that I work with in football and in basketball, you know, I'll handle the who, the what, the when, and the where. You just tell me why. Just focus singularly on why. Why did that work? Why didn't it work? One. Uh, so we have that discussion, and then in terms of like like setup. Um, I always say I like to be able to have the opportunity to set the play. However, if, if, 
it, if you're going no huddle, and if they're going super fastball, as some people call it, um, you know, then it's incumbent upon the analyst to be able to know, okay, you understand my pacing, tackles made, I pause, you know they're going to get up and go, so you've got to be able to be quick. Um, you know, there's even times where we'll use, you know, a tap. You know, I'll tap him when I'm done, and he'll tap, you know, and then tap him when I want it back. Um, and, you know, through the years, and we've worked together now, I think, 10 years. I think it's been 10 uh, where, where we kind of know each other's patience and things like that. But you're right, it's difficult. There's sometimes, you know, in basketball where the color analyst just has to lay out, uh, you know, for, for a possession or two based on, you know, the, the pace of play. One of the things I find interesting about your current position is that uh, Mizzou play-by-play, from what I can tell, looks like it's almost uh, like a almost like a side job at this point. I think you do full time doing risk management. At what time did you get out of full time radio, and what was the decision making behind that while keeping the Mizzou position? Uh, I got out of full-time radio in 1997. Uh, I was working at KMOX and doing the games. And in 1997, KMOX lost the rights to carry Mizzou games uh, to KTRS in St. Louis. Um, And at that point in time, I had the opportunity uh, to leave KMOX and go to the university uh, working in athletics, uh, Joe Castiglione, who I mentioned earlier, was the athletic director of Missouri at the time. Um, and so I left full-time radio in 1997, uh, and I worked in uh, I worked in the administration, um, kind of overseeing broadcasts and working in fundraising and um, working in kind of an outreach position, um, you know, for for several years, and then. Um, you know, the one thing about being in college athletics and certainly the administrative side is I found it to be very cyclical. You're doing the same thing in April each year that you normally do. This year, obviously, it's much different than, than any other year. And candidly, I was I was actually becoming bored uh, working in on the administrative side of college athletics and just knew having a young family and uh, girls that were going to be going uh, off to college at some point in time, uh, that I wanted to be in a position where I could um, start to control income and start to control uh, control my time. And so uh, I got into uh, I got into the insurance side, insurance uh, business about 15 years ago, and uh, it's been the best move that, uh, that I could have made. And so, you know, at this point in time in my life, uh, the way I describe my broadcasting career is that it's a very passionate hobby. Um, I'm very fortunate to be there. I, I am afforded the opportunity to, uh, you know, control schedule to allow me to, to have multiple uh, careers um, and, uh, and have enjoyed the transition quite a bit. What skills from insurance cross over with broadcasting? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm always thinking, you know, I work primarily on the property and casualty side, so I'm always thinking about risk management and how do you mitigate risk. Uh, uh, I, I would say that, that the other side of it is just that broadcasting plays into the sales side of it, right? Because you're, you know, and again, I, I go back to to, to Mr. Bach and one of the things that, that Jack always said is, who are the best interviewers, Logan? The best interviewers are the best listeners. Who are the best salespeople? The best salespeople are those that listen to their clients and understand their needs. Um, I don't want to pontificate nonstop about what they know, but want to listen to their clients about what they need. Um, and so I found that balance, I think, uh, in, in, in both worlds, uh, being able to apply them. So I'm going to finish up with some less serious topics. Not that anything here was all that serious, but um, I'm initially, I am a native Nebraskan and a lifelong Nebraska Husker fan, and one of my favorite memories came at your expense in 1997 (laughs) 
and I have the call of Brent Musburger ingrained in my head. And I was just wondering personally, do you remember what your call was like for that moment on the other side? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, well, the funny thing is, is that you, you, you know this, Matt Davison, who uh, ended up securing the football off of the deflection to give Nebraska the win. Um, you know, Matt, uh, you know, is a guy that did, did color on both football and basketball for the Cornhuskers. Uh, somewhat soon after his playing career, and I would tell Matt, I wish there was one catch he didn't make. Uh, that game was surreal, and that Missouri was trying to do something that it hadn't done since 1978 and Missouri in 1997, and then he's the big Um And Larry Smith had a pretty big team that would eventually go to a ball game uh, and had the number one team in the country on the ropes but couldn't close the deal. And I, I just remember that on that last desertion, the sprinklers at the south end of Furrow Field way off as Nebraska was driving downfield towards from south to north. Um, and then the ball, you know, is thrown and, and you see it deflected and then you see a scrum. And so there's a moment of wondering. Uh, and then you see, you know, Davison come out of the pile with the, with the football. There's a great still shot. Julian Jones with a defensive back. Uh, out of the state of Oklahoma that played for Missouri at the time. And he is literally standing with his hands extended. The ball is within inches of his hands as Davison makes the catch. Um, so there was a moment of question in terms of what were the officials going to rule. I, I still believe to this day they would have ruled it incomplete. I don't know that, I don't know that we would have had an argument. Um, you know, I think that, that um, you know, people would have been fine with that, but I've said this from, uh, for a long time, is that the essence of college athletics is kids making plays, and that's certainly what Matt Davidson did on that, on that evening in Columbia, Missouri, is that he made a play. One of the things I like to ask everybody who comes on here, share what I like to call a broadcast horror story, and that's where obviously nothing actually horrific happens, but something uh, highly inconvenient or weird happens during a broadcast. I'm going to guess in your time in uh, Champaign and only with the white squirrels that you had a really odd vantage point or a day where all the equipment set on fire or something like that. Um, <laughs> well, a couple of them. Um, you know, when, when I was doing women's volleyball at the University of Illinois and traveling with the team, it wasn't something that every institution was prepared for. So where are the phone lines? Where where, where do you set up? And um, you know, we were doing a match at the University of Nebraska in what I think was their intramurals building. Um, and there was a court set up with metal bleachers. And, you know, where's the phone line? Well, it's back here in the, you know, one of the offices off to the side. Well, unfortunately, I had enough phone cord where I was able to run the run the line, uh, you know, from the back office out to the, and then I literally sat in the stands with the equipment on my lap uh, doing the play-by-play. Uh, that's one that certainly stands out. Um, you know, doing a match at the University of Nebraska during the uh, during a regional and uh, having a mic because uh, we operated from up in the press box at the Bob Devaney Sports Center. Um, but having a mic near the, the end of that, that, there were like several rows, and so I put a mic near the end, uh, down lower, closer to the court, and, and hearing a little kid's voice or a young kid's voice uh, saying inappropriate things in the microphone. <laughs> I, I remember that. Um, and then, and then there was another moment where, you know, for a few seasons at Bush Stadium, I was the public address announcer, and uh, you know, I had a little uh, button that would attach to my belt. I would hit the button, and then I would say, now betting for the Cardinals, Ozzie Smith. Um, I remember a Sunday afternoon game after a Saturday night late game and being tired because I was back at the, the stadium by 8 o'clock because I was doing sports on a Sunday on KMOX for two hours prior to the start of the baseball coverage. And the clip, uh, the little button getting stuck, uh, not realizing that the mic was on, and then sitting down in the seat next to the microphone and yawning as the batter is in the batting cage and the umpire ripping off his mask and calling time out, looking and 
I literally dove under the table at that point in time. But yeah, well, I've had a few of those moments, you know, that uh, <laughs> you know are kind of funny now that you think about them. Yeah, I always certainly enjoy looking back at those. Now, if you have a free day or a free evening and you're listening to a game, who are some of the people, both on a national level and maybe an under-the-radar local person in your area that you enjoy listening to? Oh, man. Um, You know, there there are a lot of my colleagues in the SEC that I love to listen to. In fact, all of them. Uh, I love to listen to them. Uh, They've become very dear friends in a short amount of time. Um, I, I, you know, not to single anybody out, but I... I, I love Eli Gold and, and love listening to him. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, more of a national uh, standpoint, I mean, Kevin Harlan, I used to do when I, when I was in St. Louis, and, and again, I just moved back to Columbus within the last couple of years, but for a period of, uh, you know, six years, I was driving back and forth on Mondays, and so I'd get a chance to listen to Kevin doing Monday Night Football, and that was always a pleasure. Um you know, um, there's a guy who used to do Missouri baseball here that now works on ESPN. I think he's doing ESPN radio, does some national stuff named Sean Kelly. No relation, uh, but a St. Louis kid uh, who uh, I just think has had a terrific career. He used to do Tulane and then uh, did the Pelicans for a while and is now doing more uh, ESPN uh, college football and, and doing um uh, Major League Baseball as well. So, um, you know, I'm not a guy that listens with a critical ear. Um, A lot of times if I have it on, and I don't do it often, but when I have on sports, it's for, um, it's just for, you know, just to have something on in the background. Uh, I will tell you somebody who has been a mentor to me, who's been in this position for, I think, 40 years, that does just from a technical standpoint, is one of the best broadcasters I've ever heard. And his name's Mike Reese. He does SIU Carbondale games. Um, Mike is is as good of a broadcaster as there is, um, but has chosen to, you know, be at his alma mater for as long as he's been there. Um, and he's just he's a terrific person, a dear friend, and um, you know, a mentor to me, and, and a guy who is an excellent broadcaster. Well, once again, we are visiting with Mike Kelly. He is the voice of the Missouri Tigers and. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the Say the Damn Score podcast. My pleasure, Logan. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, if you enjoy this show, if you get value from it, if you want to help out the show continue to grow, and if you've listened this long, you probably do, just tell one friend about it. That's all I ask. It's not a very difficult request, but just tell one friend in the business that you think may like this or may find value in it about the Say the Damn Score podcast. That is your homework assignment for today. Anyway, I appreciate everyone for tuning in. I always appreciate honest feedback that makes the show better, including Apple iTunes reviews, emails, or social media feedback. And if you get a chance, reach out to the guests that come on this show and let them know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.